focus placed on 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 technique as the highest importance of everything mm-hmm. it was just a huge eye opener you know quant- quality over quantity that's, every time that's the way i talk. i mean you're at the seminar like that's that's everything and, I, love and that. I think every athletic Welcome to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Pukulski. I recently traveled to Australia and had an incredible opportunity to tour around and meet some of the country's greatest athletes, some of the country's greatest coaches and influencers. And this gentleman has become known around the entire world for being one of the strongest human beings on the planet. And not only that, his intelligent approach to getting really strong has taken him to new heights. He is now training the strongest man in the world as well as many other of the world's strongest men. Today's guest has a very unique approach to getting strong, very, very different than what many of the world's top experts are speaking of. Uh, Sebastian Oreb, otherwise known as the Australian Strength Coach, is today's guest. And I absolutely love this conversation out of his base gym in Sydney, literally called Base Gym. It's an awesome place focused around getting absolutely insanely strong and why Sebastian's approach is so unique is he actually takes a minimal effective dose approach and a lot of people out there are promoting many different approaches and uh, none of which it seems are talking about minimum effective dose to get maximum result and you guys know when I talk about hypertrophy that's what I speak about right you're not it's not about maximum recoverable volume it should be about minimum effective dose to get the maximum response and I love that Sebastian is the guy who's now able to coach the top guys in the world and we he mentions some really really big names as for people he's coaching and not only that how he approaches getting them really really strong some of the biggest setbacks you're gonna experience if you're trying to get strong and some of the biggest mistakes people are making when it comes to getting really really strong so if you want to integrate strength into your current hypertrophy program or just into getting really really strong this is a really really insightful podcast uh, with sebastian oreb from base gym in australia i know you guys are going to absolutely love this conversation if you do listen right to the end leave us a review on itunes I, as always i love hearing from you guys enjoy the podcast with sebastian oreb What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Ben Pakulski, and we're sitting here with the Australian strength coach, Sebastian Orb. What's up, brother? Hey, man. Thank you for having me. Dude, thank you for inviting me into your gym. And I just got a quick little deadlift session in there with Dr. Shallow, which was awesome. And I'm really grateful to be here. I've been watching you from from a distance for a while. Uh, Obviously, uh, training Hapthor was kind of... um, you know, a huge thing for you. He recently uh, just did his first powerlifting meet, mm. or if it was a meet, or just a, just it, a, it was it was his meet. Yeah, it was, a, it was yeah. the Thor's powerlifting challenge that he held in Iceland. But it was an official event, and it, uh, you know, for for the people that like to get technical, he has done powerlifting competitions in the past. Mm-hmm. I think it was like nine years ago. He had a few, uh, you know, little small shows. But a lot of people are actually considering this was his debut. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, that was the most recent uh, recent event. Uh, at the end of last year, it was great. Sure, and it'd be easy 
for us to dive into Habitor, man. But but more importantly, I, I want to talk about you because obviously to to scale to the level you have, both in business and strength, and obviously becoming trainer of many of the greatest powerlifters in the world. I'll talk a little bit about your past. Like, how did that begin? You're obviously a very young guy. You're very healthy, very fit, extremely strong. And uh, I'm very curious about strength. As I said to you transparently, uh, I just want to know like where did the passion for strength come? Because I know to be as good as you are at anything, it's a passion. It's not just um, hey man, I'm gonna I'm gonna try this one day and start lifting some shit and hopefully it works. It's like I, I'm extremely passionate about something and I've de- dedicated my entire life to that. How did it begin for you? Um, the the beginning was very different to to how you'd expect. I was you know just trying to impress a girl really, uh, <laughs> you know many years ago. That's my wife now. We've been together yeah. for for I think seventeen close to eighteen years. Oh wow! Um, so that's that's where it all started. You know, I was just a skinny little guy and um, you know. Uh, I needed to put on some muscle mass and, and it never started with the pursuit of strength. It started with, uh, you know, wanted to look good. And, uh, you know, from there, I just, um, you know, I, I, I tried different sports. I got into martial arts and things like that. And then I uh, wanted to be successful. And I started thinking about ways of, of incorporating that into and making money at the same time. And I wasn't good enough at martial arts to, to make money off it. So I knew some professional level martial artists and I offered to, to train them to get strong. And, uh, you know, by accident, I became the guy in the area, the local guy that was known for training the pros uh, and because I knew them. So by default, you know, I, I had a great reputation of, of training professional athletes. From there, I just thought, well, if, if that's a reputation I've got, I better be good at it. And so I just pursued it and I just, I went all in. And uh, to go all in, I had to quit what I wasn't as good at, which was, you know, martial arts. So I stopped, you know, fighting, which is probably a great move because I don't really like fighting too much. <laughs> you know, I've met a lot of, uh, and trained a lot of high level fighters who have been forced into retirement with brain damage. And right. it's a really sad thing. So, you know, looking back, it's, it's a great thing that I got out of that because I value my brain. Uh, yeah. as I'm sure most people do. But, um, you know, for, from there, it, yeah, I just I kind of just wanted to be good. And, and um, you know, lucky for me, I, I, everything turned out right. It was kind of unplanned, uh, you know, the way that we opened our gym. the way, Like I said, I, I kind of fell into it. I built the reputation of training pros. And from there, uh, there was not really many other people at the time that were training pros. So the next professional athlete came to me, then the next powerlifter at the highest level. And then it just built from there. And, and uh, right place at the right time with the right product. So a lot of things we talk about on the podcast is like building a successful life. And you said so many little golden nuggets in there that hopefully the audience is queuing in on. Like, you know, in order to focus on becoming the best at something, they had to cut away at so many other things. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a lot of lessons in that, man, because I know so many of us are, are trying to find what we're good at. And, and instead of focusing, you know, everyone's kind of stepping their, sticking their big toe into 30 different things mm-hmm. and never align themselves to really succeed. Like mm-hmm. ultimately you created success because you, you committed, you went all in. And so this is when you're be the best at it and you've, you've created it. Interestingly, yeah, I've had a lot of advice from people to say you should do this and that. Uh, you know, you should do the, you know, focus on fat loss because that's a great way of building money. And it's like, well, that's not what I'm interested in, mm-hmm. and that's not what I I like, and that's not what I'm good at. So why would I focus on that? I, I'm I'm quite good at this. So I just yeah, I, I went all in, and uh, you know, again, that was by default. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. I wasn't, um, you know, stimulated thinking about fat loss or nutrition or anything like that. Like for those who know, my my forte is strength uh and, and that's it and if you want to you know hypertrophy advice or to get on stage don't come to me right you know i'll send my guys your way but uh you know if, if you want strength that's that's yeah i've gone all in yeah very, very cool man so you're extremely strong and i'd Thank love you. to give the 
listeners, just kind of like some mechanics of, you know, someone comes to you and says, Sebastian, you know, I want to have a world-class squat. Let's say, you know, I decide I'm going to, I'm going to come out and do a powerlifting meet. Mm. What does that look like, man? Where do you start? Uh, like as far as programming, as far as what are your first thought processes with a new client? Obviously you're going to go assess what they do, mm. assess what they've been doing in the past, but then I'd love to just like kind of pull it out of your mind and like, how do I get really, really strong? So, uh, you know, something, if, if anyone works with me, they'll know that my highest priority with anything is technique. Mm, has to be. So, you know, everyone's got all these uh, loading parameters and, the, you know, the magic program and, and uh, you know, what's the, the, your best rep range and, and right. set scheme. No, it's technique. So, uh, you know, we mastered the basics and, uh, you know, that's the first place I'm going to look. You know, if you wanted to be good at squatting, we'll go and squat. And, and I've got a lot of tricks to, to get people to squatting at the highest mm-hmm. level that I've learned from the best squatters in the world. What is a great squat? What does it mean to have a great squat? Like, what are the, what are the things you're looking for? Well... No one starts being the best. I can see when someone's naturally, you know, got got the body type, you know, big legs, big big glutes, big midsection as well, sure. you know, so so that absolutely helps. But if you look at me, I don't have really much of that. I got skinny legs, um, you know, and, and so that's not the only thing that I'll be looking at. Um, you know, it's it's the movement patterns. And, uh, you know, we use all the tools that we have, you know, these days with powerlifting, it's not just the tools of your own legs and, and uh, strength. Mm. Uh, we've got equipment, we've got external equipment. So, you know, belts and knee wraps, and, and that's something that I've mastered as well. Um, and it's not just about, uh, you know, mastering that movement. It's about, uh, staying injury free, not going to fail every session, not beating yourself up too much. Something that I've, um, I'm known for amongst my athletes, especially is, is the amount of work that we don't actually do. A lot of people work hard, uh, and I don't believe that's the answer. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, coming to your seminar last week, I, I loved hearing that about you because I, I wouldn't have thought that coming from someone at the highest level with, you know, hypertrophy and aesthetic focus. Well, I think the hard work has a place, but it's, it's not your first solution. I, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But, um, I always, you know, whenever someone asks me that question, I say, you know, that just applies to strength, but I love to hear that it just applies to being successful in all all fields well, in anything right like running a faster and faster in the wrong direction isn't going to get you where you want to go is one of my favorite quotes and yeah. like yeah working hard great like but that's kind of the idea of, of focus right like what are you focused on are you focus on the right things that are going to move the needle the most or are you focus on something that's not like mm. in strength if you're doing too much volume you're breaking down the cns you're depleting glycogen you're probably stimulating mpk all these things that are going to be negatively impacting the growth uh, process right so um you know, you're on the right track for sure, man. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, work, especially with, with the level of athletes that I've been working with, um, you know, a lot of it is by luck, you know, so the guys that I know, these guys are freaks, you know, like Hafthor, he's, uh, for the guys that are talking pounds, you know, 440 pounds, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Alex, the God Simon, he's 400 pounds. Like these guys are really big guys. <laughs> and so, how tall is Alex? He's six foot three. Wow. So he's, he's 25. He's 25. Jeez. I think he could even have just turned 26. Um, it, it's it's hard to think of sure. a number of his but, age. But he's, but he's not like 40. Uh, yeah, well, he's not 40. He's right. a young guy and he's just, you know, a really, really gifted guy. And these are the types of people that I've been lucky enough to, to bring my way. Whatever it is that I've done, you know, a, a lot of it's based on, you know, I, I just said, you know, right place, right time with the right product. Yeah, man, that's the story every successful person tells themselves, right? That's not the truth. It's like, <laughs> well, it's not, right? You've created something great. You've created a great reputation. Like I've only heard great things about you, uh, you know, how, how committed you are, how you're just a great person, how you actually care. And, and those things are what draws those people to you because there are people, you know, myself included, everyone's always like, hey, what can I get out of that person, right? And it doesn't seem like you're that, that kind of guy. You actually care about someone and that in itself as an athlete is potentially the most valuable asset of any coach so thank you I appreciate 
yourself that. some credit, man. I appreciate that. Thank <laughs> yeah. you so much. Um, but but definitely, there's a lot of care factor for for everyone that comes in my team, everyone yeah. who walks in the door at my gym, um, and I know that's also some of the feedback that I've been given as well. And and it's something that I've learned from a lot of great mentors that I've had is is how much they care for their athletes. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I see that as you know beyond academics as as a huge part of the success for oh, a lot for sure. of the the highest level athletes. Build in the them world. up, man. Build them up. They need to know that they have a team. They need to know they're supported. I mean, that in itself, from a performance perspective, is massive, right? Yeah, huge role. Yeah. As a bodybuilder, like if I don't have a support network, I'm, I'm going to fail. Mm. Like I need people who care about me, who think I'm going to do well, who support me. And, and you know, in those hard times, they're, they're your, the people you lean on, right? Yeah. For honesty or for, for an objective view, <laughs> right? Sometimes I, you don't get the honesty, but that's sure. right. You need, well, you need all of that. Right, but that's why you're a great coach. I'm, I'm, I don't know, but I'm going to presume you're just able to be honest with people, man. Like, hey, man, we need to we need to be real about this, and that to me is the foundation of success. Is like, how can I have someone around me who's going to tell me the truth? And yeah. you know, for myself during my bodybuilding career, not that I want to go down the path, it's like I was the person who was honest with myself. I was my own worst critic, and that's why I was able to be successful. Like, I didn't really have a lot of people around me who were yeah. who were critical of me or hard on me. Like, <laughs> very few, but I had some. And looking back on it, those are the people you value most, right? And yeah. I think in our society, people are very afraid to tell people the truth because you know they're afraid of what they're going to say they're going to get ridiculed they're going to get you know, cause a fight but i think that may be the foundation of success for everybody i, I love hearing this from you because you know I, I know that um you're here asking me questions but you know there's so much that i just i you know it's the, the world of hypertrophy and aesthetics and you know olympia level bodybuilding it's it's very new to me right and and you're the highest uh, at that level that i've ever had the privilege of being able to speak to and uh, you know there's so many things that i would have thought weren't parallel with my field and and now i'm just learning so much it's just so much we have in, in common you know I teach people to be their own harshest critic with everything uh, you know because so many people just want to give you a pat on the back and just sure. say you're doing a great job but that's not always the answer that you want to hear yeah. um, you know and that's that's again that's not academics that's that's coaching ability and that's um, a lot of the time it can't be taught right. uh, you know and, and um, it's a huge part of success is is the way that you deliver information as well as a coach mm -hmm. um, because sometimes if you're just critical and you're just breaking someone down they don't want to hang out with you either yeah, for sure so there's a fine line with with the delivery of cues and, and the delivery of the honesty um, and, and that's that's a big part of, of coaching <laughs> as well as getting along with your athletes and, and um, you know, that type of team morale. So I just walked into your gym and, you know, we, let's say hypothetical situation, I'm, I'm going to be working with you. I want you to make me a 900-pound squatter. Yeah. Um, and you will look at my mechanics. It's okay. Where do we start? Like programming-wise, so, uh, nutrition, like so where, where do you dive into? Something, you know, with, with – um, my rule with everyone, I don't care if you're a, you know, a thousand pound squatter or, or 500 pound squatter, you need to earn the right to add weight to the bar. Uh, there's videos now I've been watching um, of, of Half Thor and, and it makes me actually proud. He's working with Larry Wills and, uh, you know, he's, he's helping Larry. He's helping Larry. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Larry's got his finger in every pie at the moment and it's great. Sure. You know, he's doing a lot of profile building and he's working with the strongest man in the world. And, and it's, it's fantastic to see. He's yeah. challenging himself in, in something new to him. And he's learning from Half Thor. And, and Half Thor is an athlete. And he, he says to, to me, you know, I'm not a great coach. I just know how to do these things. That's why I need a great coach uh, so I don't have to think about it. But I've been watching what he's doing 
and and he is actually a great coach uh, by default. He's teaching Larry to to hold back, and this is what I uh, do with with Hathor is I hold him back a lot of the times because you know people just want to. I don't know if you know much about how Larry Wills lifts, but the guy is an absolute freak. Yeah, I know he is. And, and you know through social media, you know my my impression of him is that he comes into the gym and just goes balls to wall with everything and right. and lifts all the weights. Uh, you know, and something that I was just watching, observing with with Thor, with his with you know coaching Larry is. He's got plenty of time. There's no rush. Take your time. We've got the competition at this date, which is in however many weeks or months down the track. We don't mm. need to be lifting that weight now. We need to be preserving our body and staying injury free. Right. And gradually teaching ourselves how to handle those loads. And there's so many different overload techniques. Um, you know, there's a lot of great guys that I look up to in coaching. Um, you know, one that comes to mind is Chad Wesley Smith, for example. Yeah. Yeah. You know, fantastic reputation, fantastic athlete. And, uh, you know, he, he's something that he's known for saying is, is working hard is working smart. And, and I look at everything that he talks about and, and he is huge on volume and huge on workload and huge on, on, on getting a lot of work done. And, and for me, it's like, oh, man, it's so exhausting. And, and my, my system is very different to that. Um, for me, you know, I've learned from from really, really strong guys who don't do that. They don't they don't beat themselves up that much. And right. and I've been able to develop a lot of guys. You know, like I am not my strongest athlete. Far from that. I've got so many of my athletes that are well beyond my strength, and, and which is why I like to be an athlete as well. Is to to get a little bit of reputation and to to be able to empathize with my you, athletes. You can't be a great coach in, unless you do. Like I, really I think believe. so. You have to have, you have to feel, especially in in a sport as as uh, specific as yours. Exactly. It's like, if you've never squatted, how the hell are you going to teach it? If you've yep. never done a snatch, how are you going to teach it? Like, you've got to yep. feel. Yep. It's not like mechanics is bullshit. Like, you can read in a book all, all you want. And, like, it doesn't mean anything, right? That's why the greatest coaches are people who have a little bit of academic knowledge and yep. a little bit of practical knowledge and they put them together, right? Or maybe a lot of both, but yeah, practical knowledge of it. Well, well, that's right. So so regardless of who you are, back to the original question, uh, you know, if you want to get a 900-pound squat or a 1,000-pound squat, where do I start with you? You have to earn the right to add weight to the bar. I've had many sessions with the strongest guys in the world literally and uh, you know they're lifting less weight than me right. in the session because they're not ready to add weight to the bar define define what that means so for example you know I was over with with Thor you know at the start of his powerlifting competition he's he's uh, you know like well currently his last squat session was 290 kilograms for sets of two that guy squats um, you know over a thousand pounds my squat is 200 pounds less than that yet in my program, I'm squatting 660 pounds or 300 kilograms, and he's doing 20 pounds less than that in his program. He's far stronger than me, but he doesn't need to be lifting that amount of weight right now. What's the logic and reason? Well, it's not burning himself out. Well, there's a, there's a, there's many reasons. One, he doesn't have a squat in his next competition. He's no. training for the Arnold's, and yeah. I like to with his programming. I've got a lot of things um, that I'm planning for. So he's got another long-term goal, and that is to take the world's powerlifting record, which does involve the squat. But right now, his next competition isn't a squat, so right. I'm incorporating that lift into his training, so it never falls too far away from. Um, you know, his skill level in the squat so that when he does eventually come back to squatting for powerlifting competition, it's it's not a new exercise again. So I'm keeping that, I'm going to be keeping that in the background the whole time. So that's yeah. one big reason why he's not squatting heavy because he doesn't need to right Makes now. Makes sense. When, is he, when will he be going for the world uh, str- uh, strongest it's, man? It's a hard thing to keep up with thing, with ah, Hathor because he's got, so you know, we don't, like world's strongest man. Sorry, I said that incorrectly. When is he going to do the, the strongest powerlifter? So um, that, that's how I took what you sure. just asked. But yeah. so, so the the world's strongest man we is in May. We don't know what the events are in that. 
Right. So I know that eventually he will want the power, like to have the world record in, in powerlifting. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's not an event at World's Strongest Man, it will probably be, if squats aren't an event in the World's Strongest Man, it will probably be at the end of the year. So maybe in October, he may come to Australia for Big Dogs, which is, I guess, it's now known as the best competition in the world for powerlifters for the heavyweights. Really? Yeah, they've got the reputation for having, you know, the, the biggest, um, you know, podium finishes. I believe the last uh, top three were all uh, uh, 1,100 kilogram totals and plus, which is, you know, the, that's record-breaking. No one in sure. history has ever done that. Um, so, so that's the one that, you know, a lot of people are, are saying Thor needs to to step up to that level if he wants to be seen as the best powerlifting uh, powerlifter in the world as well as the world's best strongman. Uh, but his, uh, yeah, the, the thing with his competition, we don't know what the events are. World's Strongest Man, no one knows what the events are. Right. And we'll probably learn, like there's rumors that come out, but we'll probably have all of the events confirmed maybe about six weeks out from the show, right. which is just crazy. I mean, the conditions at the World's Strongest Man at that level, you'd think it'd be a little bit more professional, uh, a little bit more, a bit better organized, but it's just not. Like from a powerlifting perspective, uh, you know, the powerlifters, they're elitist. They know what lifts they have to do. Right. They practice specifically for those for that event uh, at the highest level. Strongman, uh, this is going to kick up uh, a bit of a fuss here, you know, but they truly are the strongest men in the world. Sure. You know, a lot of powerlifters will say, well, they can't squat, bench press and deadlift as much. But but if a powerlifter had to step in the, the, the world of a strongman, man, they got like 10 days straight of competition. Right. Uh, a powerlifter, I mean, myself, if I do a competition, I'm – Done. Gassed for three days. For more than three days. That right. I, I'll take a week off training and when I come back, everything feels heavy. My body is beaten up. Right. These guys, you know, they'll that one day they'll have to do you know a five a one thousand pound deadlift. Sure. And then the next day they have to go and do for more reps. events. And I think there's something to be said for the ability like world's strongest man is like you have to be strong at everything. It's not just good at, th- at three specific skills. And I think that would maybe why they wait. I don't know if they do it on purpose, but they wait so long to tell the events. Yeah. Like ultimately, I want you to be the strongest guy in everything because yeah. that person should win. Like if you know the events and you get specific and train for them and then then it's not just about being the strongest man. It's about yeah. being the best at these skills yeah. and then being the strongest man. So Absolutely. I understand. Absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's, that's you know, like my strategy with training him as well is is sticking to the basics. So so um, my, my training techniques are back to the original question again of how am I going to get you strong um, it's it's the basic movements and I use a barbell is just a tool uh, to get someone strong there's many other tools there's dumbbells there's machines and and my favorite way to get a body strong regardless of your goal whether it's to be an MMA fighter a rugby player uh, a powerlifter a strongman is to master the basics with the barbell to gradually progress you to be able to handle the heaviest loads possible without injuring yourself and without burning yourself out and if we can do that the person who you know stays injury free for the longest will be the strongest sure and, and that's proving to be the case in in you know time after time again with a lot of my athletes everyone just keeps on getting stronger as years go by um you know and i take a lot of pride in that you know someone I've, i'm doing an instagram story at the moment i do that every wednesday and someone wrote a question when was the last time you failed a lift and i thought okay I, I do remember when that was and i went back and and it was um, I failed a 330 kilogram deadlift attempt last August and that was in the lead up to a competition and that was a little bit of poor planning but I just don't miss reps not because I'm so strong I can lift all the weight it's because I plan to not better. lift right. so heavy that I'm going to miss that rep I plan to do everything a little bit lighter than than what I should be able to do and that's for good reason you don't need to beat yourself up you don't need to train that hard 
So is it, that's a great topic. Is that about just the whole stress on the body or is it about not like, you know, it's pretty obvious that if you're constantly training near that hundred percent max effort skill at some point, is going to start to deteriorate. It's going to start to break. Cause you're going to have to instill bad habits. Every time you're towing that line, your body, something's going to start breaking. Yep. So is your thought process there? Like not breaking the skill, not breaking the body. I'd love to just walk through why. All, all, all of that. Above, yeah. So technique is number one. You break down technique, you're increasing risk of injury. <laughs> and if you're breaking down technique, you're teaching the body how to do the wrong things. Every time I touch a barbell, whether it's an empty bar or the heaviest weight possible, I'm treating it the same it's way. The same, yeah. So if I'm going for a max lift, for example, I'll approach that empty bar with the same focus I'm obviously not putting as much force through the bar as when I'm lifting the heaviest weight, but I'm thinking about that top weight. And when you break down technique, that's not what happens. So there's, yeah, breakdown of technique. You're teaching your body the wrong things. You're increasing the risk of injury. And, you know, lifting beyond your max, uh, you know, increases the amount of recovery time required. Of course, if you're smart about that, every now and then if that happens, it's not that much of a big deal. But the way that I used to train and some of the guys, some of my mentors in the past have taught, you know, uh, you know, regular maxing out, breaking down technique, it's fine, try it again. And this is coming from, uh, I'm not sure how, how into the weightlifting you are, you know, like Olympic lifting. But these guys, um, you know, the Bulgarian method, for example, sure. um, I'm not sure if you've heard of John Bros. That's someone who yeah, very I, much. I loved his yeah. work uh, back in the day. And I learned a lot about his uh, his technique back in the day that he used to advocate the Bulgarian method, but with with his spin on it. And he's got some, you know, he, he trained a guy called Pat Mendez. You mm-hmm. probably also very, know who he is. These guys are, are phenomenal athletes. And, and all, that that's probably what ignited my passion to, to training this way, uh, watching what he did. And these guys were all about maxing out daily. And I've even read somewhere about, you know, failing a lift, you can attempt it up to about nine times <laughs> before you should, uh, you know, throw in the towel for the day. And that's what I used to do. I've done that before. I've wow. missed reps and it's like, okay, let me try it again. Let me try it again. And I've sometimes been successful, but this is like, I look back on that and I think, I, I, you know, I hold my head in shame thinking, sure, whoa, that's, that, that's, that's not good. Well, yeah, I guess an age thing too, right? Like when you're young, you can get away with a lot more, man. And you start, and, and it's also like, a who is it? If if somebody's not, if somebody's squatting a thousand pounds plus, you're you're not going to allow their body to be under that type of load repetitively. But if someone's squatting two hundred fifty pounds, maybe a different thing, right? Relative exactly. To, to how but I, back then, that's what, what my level was. I wasn't strong, so I right. was my squat was around the five hundred pound mark, and so that's probably why I was able to get away with a little bit more. But nowadays, wow, you know, all of our athletes that. We're, we're, you know, wrappers in cotton and, and uh, you know, we're, we're quite delicate with our approach to recovery and, and looking after ourselves. We'll approach maximal loads. Uh, I don't even know when, like, you know, just maybe as we're approaching the competition, I like to compete two times per year. So I'm approaching maximal loads probably about, you know, two to three weeks before competition. And then competition day, obviously. So so of the year, there's probably about four or five weeks of the year that I'm peaked to be lifting that level. Right. The rest of the year, I don't need to be lifting as much. And if I continue to try and lift that much all year round, I'm going to beat my body up too much. And, sure. uh, you know, that's that's the thing. You don't need to, you know, this is a problem with social media as well. Yeah, you got to hit a PR every day or PB every day, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And it holds a lot of people back except for the smart people. Talk to me about volume and frequency. I'm very curious how you approach um, those two issues when it comes to, you know, getting super strong. Yeah, so if, if people put all of their trust in me and gave 
you know, I, t- I was able to take charge in their programming. At this stage, most of my highest level athletes, you know, they're, they're, they're quite strong at elite level. Um, I like a four day split with my training, just to, to put a, a basic system on somebody's training. I like to, you know, let's just talk, talk about powerlifting. I like to bench press two times per week and I like to train my whole upper body with my bench press sessions. Uh, I like to squat once a week and I like to deadlift once a week. People come up to me and they say, but I like to do a higher frequency than that. That's fine. So I'll be able to work with those people and say, okay, we'll, we'll add a day if we need to, but we need to now lower the intensity. The intensities that I like to work at, I, I believe that four-day split really, really works well. And I use that- So only training four days a week? I train four days a week. Sometimes mm-hmm. I train multiple times in that day. So for example, today I'm going to train again. Uh, you know, I did bench press in the morning and I didn't, uh, I like to spend all my focus on the main lifts and going, you know, relatively high intensity, never till fail, but relatively high intensity. And then I like to eat, relax, come back and do my accessory work in the afternoon. Uh, so that's two sessions in one day, but I still consider it a four day split. Um, you know, and that's, that's coming from speaking with the highest athletes in the world, sure. speaking with the best coaches in the world. When I say the highest, I said highest athletes, the strongest athletes right. in the world from, from sports like strongman and powerlifting. Um, for females, I like to increase the frequency, increase the volume, and increase the intensity relatively. Do you feel like they can recover more? Absolutely. It's based on size. It's based on the amount of sure. weight they can lift. You know, they've got less muscle mass to recover from. And uh, yeah, they can recover a lot quicker. That's that's basically it. Uh, so so if, if you're a girl and you came to me to train at the highest level, we've got one of the highest level athletes that are training in this gym at the moment. Uh, she's an aesthetics um, fitness model. Her name's Hattie Boydell. And she trains six days a week. If, she, if it was up to her, she would train seven days a week. Right. Um, you That's know, how I was when I was competing, man. Yeah, well, it's it's hard, you know. It's a big head game. I, sure. I, I don't want to say it like this, but I just have to. Everyone at that level has a little bit wrong with their brain. Oh, sure, yeah. We're, <laughs> we're, all, we're all insecure. We're all messed up. Yeah. No, no question. Not just the insecurity. There's some, uh, probably a lot of that as well. Obsession. But the obsession. There's something yeah. wrong with you to want to be that good. Like what's just right. go, go and spend time with your family. Go and do normal things, you know? Yeah, know. But what we do, it's not normal. Right. But that's fine. And I, I, I like that. When people come, a new person comes to my gym and someone says, oh, watch out for this person. They're a little bit messed up in the head. It's like, what do you think <laughs> you're, I am? You're, you know? you're, you're part of my breed. You're exactly, part of my team. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, so yeah, it, it's um, lift dependent, uh, the, the frequency and the volume and the intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we've got things like, you know, it depends on how far away from the competition you are. Like for example, when I, in my off season, I, I love training actually. Mm-hmm. And, and I like to increase my frequency because I want to be in the gym. I live in the gym. Right. This, is, this is my workplace right. and, and uh, it's a really cool crew. And uh, I'd rather be out there training with my friends than sitting in here doing office work. Sure. So I increase my frequency for up to six sessions per week. And when my frequency is that high, my intensity is all the way down. And I'll go in and I'll do the, the big lifts, but with really, really reduced intensities. So it's basically technique work. And I'm always working on technique. Um, you know, something that I loved about, and I'd, I'd love to pick your brain with this as well. You, you spoke about, um, what was it, five movements for each uh, each yeah, exercise max, and doing it right. Yeah, four and you said, me. and the only reason you, you choose four or five is because people get bored of two. Yeah. You know, I'm with you with that whole two exercises per movement. Mm. Uh, you know, my, my exercise vocabulary is quite low. Uh, it used to be a lot higher and we used to be a lot weaker. Sure. And, you know, the more specific and the, more, the higher the focus on skill that we've had, the stronger that we've gotten. Sure. And, um, you know, so, so <clears throat> you know, the answer, 
a funny conversation I had with a good friend. The smarter you get, the more you realize that the correct answer is it depends. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, um, yeah, if, if you're just about to step into, you know, competition phase, you know, the last eight to 12 weeks of a competition, yeah, I like four days a week. Um, and, and even still, it's not deadlifting. So I say, you know, deadlift once a week, squatting once a week. And that's not deadlifting and, and squatting as heavy as you can once a week. Uh, you know, we'll undulate that depending on the level of the athlete. If you've got a great squat and you squat like, you know, if I've got squatters that are doing 800, 900, 1,000 pounds in that week, they're definitely not going to deadlift that same amount in that week. We need to deload. So guys like Hathor, guys like Alex Simon, it's heavy week, light week, heavy week, light week. Um, all three lifts will be heavy. All three lifts will be light. Yes and no. We have to kind of get a three-week split. <laughs> sure. It depends. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, so we've kind of got a three-week rotation because if you go, um, you know, heavy week, light week, heavy week, light week, you'll, you'll end up still having back-to-back heavy squat sure. with a heavy deadlift and that yeah. doesn't work. So, you know, I don't know if people are going to have their pen and paper out right now uh, listening to this, but, but let's just say we do a heavy squat. Uh, the next session has to be a light deadlift. Sure. And then if we just go heavy squat, light deadlift, heavy squat, light deadlift, we never give attention to the deadlift. Right. Now so, talk about just quickly, like when you say heavy versus light percentages, are you going like 40% on a light day or 50% 70%? Like what, what do you consider a light day? Or is it light I never, as far I never as really go below 50%. 50% is probably a little bit too light. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, you know, worked with a lot of people. I kind of like the number of, you know, 70% to 80% for our light work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we decrease the volume sure. as well. So, you know, let's just talk about, you know, relatively we should be able to do five reps of about 85%. So I'll get you to do two to three reps of about 75%. So the volume's re- uh, uh, decreased and so is the intensity, but it's at a weight that you respect and you can still practice the right technique. If the weight's too light, it doesn't have the same carryover to sure. the top weight. Yep. So, um, you know, heavy squat, light deadlift. Then the next session has to be a moderate squat or a lighter squat so that we can now factor in a heavy Heavy deadlift. And then of course, after the heavy deadlift, we can't go straight to a heavy squat because we're too burnt out from the heavy deadlift. Mm -hmm. So it's a funny thing. If we've got a 12 week prep, you may only get four to five heavy deadlift sessions and uh, you know, four to five heavy squat sessions. So one thing you said in there that I want to pull out is if if you uh, a good powerlifter should be able to do five reps approximately with eighty five percent of their max load. What if they can't? Like, what if someone comes to you and is is relatively neurologically inefficient? I love to go like, how do you progress them to get? Yeah, it? th- it's no big deal actually because I don't really care if they're good at five reps. Okay. I care if they're good at the single, One, sure. especially if they are a powerlifter. You know, working with strong men, everyone can, can develop the skill. So a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of tests out there where people, you know, uh, get your max weight and then drop it to seventy five or eighty five percent. See how many reps they do and that way you can determine you know if they're slow twitch or fast twitch dominant right. uh, you get good at whatever you train exactly that's so- <laughs> glad to know that yeah. Yeah. I'm slow twitch no you're not man just change your training for six months and exactly fast twitch. Yeah. exactly so you know depending on what the competition is when I'm dealing with powerlifters they have to do one rep mm-hmm. you know in strongman these guys are, are doing max reps yeah. so you know the last competition that we had with Hafthor he's doing it was you know 800 pound deadlift on an axle bar so anyone knows the difference between an axle bar and a, a normal bar there's no flex in it it's really thick it's further away from your center of mass uh mechanically it sucks yeah Uh, so so to do 800 pounds for reps that's really really hard (laughs) and uh you know i basically know what it's going to take for him to win that competition i look at the the people that he's up against at europe's strongest man he did six reps on that um and we trained for him to be able to do eight reps 
So, you know, we're in a powerlifting competition. We train you to be really, really efficient and really great at doing a, a max single, having the skill to do a max single. You know, every second to third week, I'd have him do, you know, eight reps because that's the number that we we're going for in competition. Um, just so happened that it, it just took six reps to win the competition. Right. And you see he, he did six reps and, you know, had his hands up in the air <laughs> exactly. uh, while the other competitor, which happened to be a guy called Zydrunas Zaviskas, who one of the greatest pal- uh, strongmen of all time, mm-hmm. was still completing his reps, but we'd already won it with six reps. But regardless, you get good at what you train. And if I want you to be good at five reps, I'll train five reps. And if you're not good at doing five reps now, I don't care because we'll get you there. <laughs> Yeah, very, very cool, man. How much are you looking at, like, uh, with with Thor, with any of your athletes, how much are you looking at recovery modalities? Because that's that's very interesting to me, right? It's like these guys are pushing the central nervous system harder yeah. than probably anybody on the planet. Yeah. Um, I'd love to know, like, what, what what's those off days? Are, are you having interventional uh, intervention with these guys? or are you- there, there is, and it's all about training morale. It's like, for me, it's like, what do you like doing? You know, I let people do what they like to do. If you want to go for a walk, that's great for you. That's going to be good for your body. It's going to be good for your soul, whatever you like. Have Thor like things that I don't know. I don't have, you know, evidence-based, you know, literature to support what he does. He does a lot of hot, cold therapy. Yeah. He he swears by that. And, you know, I'll sit with him. And whenever I go and live with him in Iceland, he forces me in that cold tub and I hate it. Uh, But, uh, you know, here's the rationale. He says to me, you want me to listen to you in the gym? You need to listen to me here. And that's what I do with everything. It, It is. It's a mutual respect so he's he forces me in that cold tub and uh, you know i don't disagree that it's going to increase the recovery but i'm not 100 sold on it either right. but i'll do it anyway uh, it makes him feel good and i think there's a lot to that um you know there's a lot of other topics uh, <laughs> funny articles that come to my mind nookie or no nookie pre-game time sure yeah and you know my answer to that is i don't know nookie but, all uh, the time it, well that's it <laughs> you know if it doesn't make you feel good yeah uh, something interesting i i came into the gym one time and uh you know there's a few things that i try not to do before i'm going for a heavy lift and and one is that nookie yeah. uh, the other is you know um high sugar meals because you know the the big energy spike and the crash i want to be performing optimal so i came into the gym one day and a friend said to me uh, you know what are we doing today and I, and I was disappointed in myself i said I was just with my wife, you know, and we had, uh, you know, cuddle time. <laughs> so, so some, some private time. And, uh, and then she made me pancakes afterwards. And she said, what's wrong with that? And I said, well, I'm meant to be doing a, head, a heavy deadlift today. You know, I, I don't know if, if, if I'm right ready for it. He said, well, sounds like you've had a pretty good day so far. Yeah, light it up, man. <laughs> and yeah. it kind of changed my mindset sure. right there. And I ended up having a good day. Right. So <laughs> a lot of the recovery methods based on, on just morale, how does it make you feel? Does it make you happy? I, I weigh up what are they actually doing? A lot of people talk about stretch sessions, yoga. Like, is that actually great for recovery? Well, right. it, well, it depends. How does Who it make it? you feel? Yeah. What are you used to, right? Like if you're used to having sex every day before you train, <laughs> Yep. Then you better have sex every day before it, you, you know, like exactly. Don't yeah. do anything different is one yeah. of the best things that you can do for for game time. Yeah, and everybody seems to think <laughs> it's going to take away your power, but like if it, I think it may be worse for you to be distracted if you're used yep. to doing it all the time. All of a sudden, you can't think about what you're trying to do. You know, I mean, that's yeah. a real thing. Yeah. Very interesting, man. Um, so you know, moving along, I think there's there's a lot that needs to be learned here as far as uh, how to ultimately become super super strong. One piece that we haven't really touched on is mindset, and yeah. I, I don't know um, how much you're kind of coaching these guys as far as that stuff but it sounds like you've kind of got a hand on getting them super focused and how much does that play in so one thing that i talk a lot about is like the state of mind that you take on when you're coming into the gym is a big part of uh being great at anything i'd love to have you talk about you know how you're 
for yourself or for one of those athletes, how you're kind of steering that ship? Yeah, so that's something that's always, it's forever changing as well. It's exhausting to be highly focused for a two hour training session when you're lifting the heaviest weights possible. It's exhausting. So that's probably the hardest part. So something that our, you know, a lot of our strong lifters will be able to relate to, you know, you'll do a big set of whatever it is. Um, you know, let's just say a set of five reps. We I had an athlete, he did, uh, he did five reps on, on 700 pounds. No, it was more, whatever 340 kilos is. I believe that's about 750 pounds. Probably more than that, yeah. he, he squatted that in five reps and, you know, we, we spoke about it and it wasn't actually that hard. But could he do another set? No, he couldn't. Right. What was exhausting? Prepping for that, yeah. wrapping the knees, sitting there, getting his mind ready to be able to do it. The and anxiety of the, the, you know, that the anxiety is so exhausting. Yeah. You know, the, that's right. The adrenaline dump. Yeah. Uh, this is a lot of things that people don't factor in. You write down on paper, he's just done one set. It's a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the mindset leading up to that, it's it's a hard thing, you know, getting ready for a competition, you know, the neural arousal in the gym versus the arousal in, in competition, they're very different circumstances. Mm -hmm. Sure. And that's a huge uh, contributing factor to your overall fatigue after competition compared to your fatigue after a training day. Right. So, you know, a lot of great coaches also factor that in and they'll have, you know, like a high arousal day or, you know, very excited in the gym versus, you know, completely relaxed. I, I know a lot Lot of um you know great there was a big comparison with eddie hall and benedict magnuson mm -hmm. when those two were training for a 500 kilogram deadlift and i was watching it very very closely a lot of people uh, you know sent me messages of, i'm on the the there's a part where eddie hall actually deadlifted the 500 kilograms and the video goes straight to my face in disbelief i think i'm saying something like fuck right. <laughs> it was yeah. it was amazing lift but but you know leading up to that i was watching benedict magnuson uh training and i was watching eddie hall training and one of the biggest differences between the two they're both lifting similar numbers in the gym but the arousal that came from uh, benedict magnuson's training session if you watched it it was just magnificent i loved it just how how the mindset that he had he'd attacked this weight like a raging bull and it was just phenomenal to watch i love it Eddie Hall was not the same. He was relaxed. He was, you know, making jokes and, and he was, you know, whatever the practical jokes that they have on their friends, slapping them around the head and all mm -hmm. of that. And they're, they're both lifting the same weights. But then when it came to competition time, that's when you need to be that aroused. That's when you need to be that excited. Eddie Hall won. He was able to switch it on to the, the level that he needed to be where it counted and that was in competition. Yeah. So... You know, the mindset, it's a huge thing. As it gets closer to competition time, you need to be, I believe you need to be prepared for these things. So when my highest level athletes are in here, I treat them like, you know, I nurse them like my children. Mm -hmm. You sit down and I do everything, you know, and that's a big part of the care factor that I have with a lot of my athletes. You know, I, I won't talk to them and I won't let them, as it gets close to competition, of course, I won't let them talk to other people as well. I won't let them be bothered. If someone new comes to the gym, I'll put my hand up in their face and say, don't come this way. We've got something important happening and that's a huge part of the success is you know the, when we talk about care the amount of care that goes into the session but if you do that every single session you know 12 weeks out from a competition or in the off season oh, exhausting. Man, that's exhausting yeah. and it's not enjoyable either right you know so it's the training morale you have to enjoy what you do if you don't enjoy it you're not going to want to do it jordan and i dr jordan shallow and i were talking about um the autonomic nervous system and, and how you can learn like you're talking about that day of the competition how exhausting that one rep is or the, those you know the entire day is to your body and you know digging into the possibility of intervention strategies like you know subjecting yourself to that high amount of sympathetic stress 
and then figuring out a way to kind of calm your body down and mm. subjecting you to again. So ultimately you're kind of increasing the volume or the amplitude of the sympathetic arousal that your body's used to mm. being subjected. That's what, what lifting is, right? It's yes. like today I did 900 pounds tomorrow. I'm going to do 910 and like a lot or next week I'm going to do 910 and progressing my body, um, it, my body's ability to to recover from that and then your perceived exertion is much lower at some yeah. point 500 pounds for you was very very hard and, and like your stress was massive mm-hmm. now 500 pounds you, you could probably walk out there cold and do it right yep. same on a bench press like so thinking of ways to allow your nervous system to recover faster so you can do it more often and ultimately drive that mm. that sympathetic arousal higher i think that's the ultimate hack in training here. definitely definitely and as you know i did hear you speaking about that before and and it's like something that intrigues me as well because i don't have the evidence uh, for any of these things sure. i think by accident you have to track a- absolutely so yeah. yeah what you know what works and, and as you said with as you know with the mindset it's it's forever changing with our strategies mm-hmm. um I, yeah ba- not based on on evidence but based on what works for the individual um what do they respond to best uh, but yeah, a lot of the things that I do, you know, someone's probably done the study on and it probably works for some reason. For sure. And, and if they haven't, they will soon because it's people like yourself who are the ones that kind of the trailblazers, you know, like yeah. you, people will see what you're doing and they'll go, we should study this. Yeah. And then in five years, it'll be reality or 10 years, it'll finally come out, you know. Exactly. Some, yeah. So many times I've had interviews with people and they say, oh, yeah, so that's that study that was done. And it's like. I didn't read it. As yeah. I've been doing it for a while. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. I don't read studies. Uh, great. Yeah. One thing I'm curious about is how much are you are you um, paying attention and measuring time uh, around workouts in between sets? Because I think as a strength athlete, some people you say it's very important that you're taking you know three minutes or seven minutes or ten minutes, and some people just go, "I go when I'm ready." Yeah. I'm very pay very much attention to how many minutes between rests. So mm-hmm. for myself. Um, Eight minutes is my magic number, and that's not based on science either. That's based on if it was yeah. to do with science, you know, I've heard of a lot of, uh, you know, measures of, you know, four and a half minutes to get the, you know, full neural recovery. Uh, and, and I used to base everything on four and a half minutes. I just had that number in my head. Uh, and then it came to a point where it's like, okay, in competition, you know, for a powerlifting competition, in between each lift, it's more than four and a half minutes. And I was freaking out because, I, you know, I'm a creature of habit in so many ways. So I had to teach myself to, to change that and, and kind of, you know, extend that four and a half minute period for one or two, get used to randomizing that rest period. So I've tried a lot of everything. So that's the magic number that I've come to as a minimum of eight minutes rest for all of my top sets when we're at our heaviest weights. And I'm talking about myself as a 100, you know, you know, 220 to 242 pound guy. That's my, my usual body weight. So that's 100 to 110 kilograms, uh, lifting the amount of weights that I'm lifting mm-hmm. at, and up. So guys that are, you know, my size and and heavier and stronger respond very well to that amount of, uh, you know, uh, a rest interval between sets. One day I had a session with Eric Lillybridge where he wrapped my knees and he cared for me and he did all those things. I was squatting for his seminar and uh, my best squat at that time was uh, 330 kilograms uh, and I needed to, to break that with him standing behind me for the, for the audience and I was prepared to, to break it by five kilograms, so to go 335. I ended up doing 350 kilograms. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a huge PB and it was easy under his supervision, under his rules. And right. his rules, he extended me to a 15-minute rest between sets. And I was looking at him going, I'm just going to shut my mouth because you're Eric Lillybridge. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't believe you, I'm just going to do as you say. And it worked. So it kind of changed a lot of the things that, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, eight minutes, everyone says, but I'm going to cool down after eight minutes. Like, 
you're, you're just not not, sure. at the, not at these levels or are you, or you can choose not to right you, exactly like, what are you doing between sets what's your brain doing what's your body doing and that, that's, it, that's it is mainly the, the brain it's the brain yeah. the neural excitation while you're sitting there what are you thinking about you know but when you <laughs> when you're lifting those levels of weight it, the the amount of stress involved sure uh, it, it keeps you warm uh, and anyone who's lifting those weights will know that uh but uh, yeah when it, it depends on how um you know how new you are to the game how new you are to lifting heavy so many times i've told someone you know rest for four minutes and they'll say man what do you want me to do go to the it's shop like, in between like cardio yeah oh it's too long no no it's too long yeah like this is new newcomers if i right. said four minutes to my strong people they would say cardio right but but this is you know like as you're you're teaching the body to and that's that's you know, as you said, you know, if you wanted to train me to get a 900 pound squat, those are the things that I would factor in. You got someone like, you know, and I, I'm saying her name because she's here now. It's, it's relevant. Hattie Boydell. When I first met her, she's, you know, training to be up on stage in a fitness model competition. And, you know, her, her regular rest periods was 60 seconds. And when she first started training with me, uh, the first rest periods that I gave her was three to four minutes, which is, is very short for me right. uh, when we're lifting heavy weights. And she's looking at me like, I'm, I'm probably going to stop training with you soon because I'm not enjoying sitting down for the whole session. I kind right. of wanted to train. Right. But then as she got stronger and stronger, she started realizing, and that's one of the biggest strategies in getting someone stronger is teaching them how to rest in between sets. Because if you're teaching yourself to hold back and to do five sets or to do 10 sets, you're teaching yourself not to give everything in that one set. So that's something that I learned a lot of through you know, working with the Lily Bridges. Yep. Uh, a funny story, he did a 500 pound deadlift challenge. Uh, he posted this on Instagram, this is Ernie Senior. And he came out and he, you know, he posted on his thing, 500 deadlift challenge. One rep, did it right the first time, no need to do any more. That's their whole methodology. Is, is not the volume approach, not the high frequency, not the working hard approach, it's do it right. Um, Eric Lillybridge posted a video of him doing a thousand pound squat and someone wrote on there on, on his Instagram page, dude, you know, where's all your volume? All, all the good guys are, you know, doing so much more sets and reps and all of these things. Right. And his response to that was how many of those guys are squatting a thousand pounds? None of them are. The guys that are squatting a thousand pounds don't do that ex excruciating amount right. of volume it's, it's and the amount of stress to your nervous system is massive. It's that huge way. at that, those loads and it's a huge focus. And that's where I, I, they're huge mentors of mine, you know, especially Ernie, who's the coach, Eric, as well as the athlete, but, but his father, Ernie, I spent a lot of time with him and, and just the love and attention that he gives a, it's because it's his son. son. Sure. But when you, you know, if you detach that and just call him his athlete, it's like, this is a huge part of the success is, is the love and attention that he gives him mm -hmm. and, and the focus, the, the, endeavor right like you can't be a 100 meter sprinter unless your form is perfect and yeah. you know it's the idea of you have to learn to crawl then walk yeah. then maybe light jog then a fast jog and like that's the progression everyone needs to walk exactly. no matter what your skill is it's all a skill yeah. one thing that jordan talked about at their seminar which you may or may not have heard was this really interesting concept behind um everything having every tissue in the body ultimately having a different recovery time so you know your, your muscles will recover in three to four minutes your nervous system may be four to eight minutes mm. and then your soft tissue may be much longer than that so your tendons, ligaments, and joints. And those are all really interesting considerations that you know, most people don't think about. And like, so if you're someone pushing the limit of, of a squat under a thousand pounds, your, your soft tissue may not, may be the thing that doesn't recover. So the idea of, of lower volume to me at that level makes a tremendous amount of sense because 
you know, if, if I'm if I'm squatting those soft tissues, there's no question those are going through a massive amount of trauma. Mm-hmm. And if I haven't trained them appropriately, or if I'm doing too much volume, those things haven't had the time to reset. And that's indefinitely a very big part of actually completing the skill of squatting or deadlifting. The, the idea that that tissue has to be recovered too, otherwise exactly. joint laxity is going to be increased. You know, the likelihood of injury is going to be increased. That's a very interesting thought. So what are you thinking about? You know, after a set. So I'm just walking through it in my mind, just something mm-hmm. that came into my mind. Body position. I think it's maybe overthinking a little bit, but body position between sets. Like, am I standing? Am I sitting? Am I laying down? Because, you know, I'm thinking if I, if I'm going to go try to deadlift or squat and I'm sitting down on a bench, slouching over my phone, I'm putting my, my spine into this rounded position. Now maybe I'm creating a little laxity in my spinal extensors. It's very interesting. Like so many things that could go into this. Ultimately my brain just overthinks. I think exactly the same as you. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, So what, what body position have you ever, like, what do you do? Yeah, I, I hold an upright torso angle because yeah. you know with with a good posture, uh, yeah. because exactly that. As we both sit up in our chair. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, every time you think about posture, I'm sure everyone listening yeah. to this at home will yeah. probably do the same thing. You sit upright, yeah. but uh, you know, in between all of my sets, I don't let any of my athletes slouch, especially. Um, you know, if they're going to be loading their spine, mm. um, you know, I, I work with very closely with with um, very intelligent rehabilitation professional his name's dr andrew Locke. uh yeah he's a a physiotherapist and he you know he's taught me a few things about um you know like you know disc fluid and and um in between you know the the importance of extension so you know there's a lot of research by a a guy called uh, ruben mckenzie who does a lot of you know mckenzie press-ups i don't know if anyone's heard of those things but it's putting the spine in extension uh you know to neutralize uh, disc fluid Mm -hmm. and um you know this is a recommendation of his is before each lift is to do a few just extensions, you know, look up, put your hands on the hips and, and extend your spine. And that will neutralize. He said it's it's like an OCD of his, uh, but he knows that that'll change the disc fluid slightly and, and decrease the likelihood of, of disc injury after hmm. loading his spine. So that's something else that I think about as well as sitting in an upright position. Not don't loaded, s- just literally like standing, like extending. Not unloaded, back. definitely unloaded. Um, you know, don't don't force yourself into well, So when I say there. loaded, maybe it's like, a you know, on a 45 degree back extension with a little bit of resistance. Right, no, no. I'm sure that would work just as standing. well. But but yeah, just just sitting down, just, you know, with your, your body weight and gravity and that's all. And just one time or flexion extension? Just or? just one time he does before his reps. That's yeah. his little OCD that he has yeah. and that I've taken on as well because there's logic behind it. Hell yeah. Um, but, but yeah, sitting down, you know, there's a lot to be said whether you could say it's, the, you know, the crowd pose the you know the mindset and and what that represents when your chest is dropped and you're looking down and the confidence and all of those things so mm-hmm. i've spoken with with mindset guys that talk about holding mm-hmm. your chest up as as you know it, it teaches you to win kind of thing sure it's dude. a winning pose chest up shoulders back jordan peterson man right Step right one. you know so so there's that um but but and, and for me, I have that in the background saying, okay, I don't know if that's true, but it's not going to hurt. Yeah. But, but absolutely, it's, it, it is more to do with the, you know, the joint integrity is to sit there with an upright posture, uh, especially when the spine is going to be loaded. Yeah, we don't slouch in between sets. No laying down on the ground or anything like that. I don't mind laying down on the ground, but it kind of just that for me is just it changes the mindset too much. You're a little bit too relaxed. You're going to switch right off. You know, I like for people to sit up and have a little bit of focus and have a little bit more attention to what's going to be happening next. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, laying down on the ground is kind of like that's switch off pose. Same as 
I don't take my belt off in between sets. Hmm. I don't take my wrist wraps off in between sets. I loosen them, but they stay on. Right. I used to take my belt off completely because I, I wanted to like use – every time I, I put that belt on, it was like my anchor to yeah. turn the brain on. Yeah. And the thing I used to do that I loved and it was something to think about because you, you live in an awesome city and, and an awesome gym. Walking outside between sets, like getting some sunshine, getting yeah. some fresh air, uh, that to me was always my best – not not when I was bodybuilding, when I was doing you know my quote-unquote powerlifting early yeah. in the days. If I could get outside, see some sunshine, uh, get some fresh air, get some really deep breaths, yeah. I feel like that helped my ability to get back into that focused state. Because I mean, you're getting we're humans, we're meant to be outside, right? Yeah, sure. Get connected with nature, get that that like sunshine in your eyes, wake wake you up, maybe increasing yeah. your dopamine or something like that. That was always a really cool strategy for me. Um, you know, one thing I want to dig into a little bit more is is nutrition. Like, so you've you've taken these guys to get you know to become the strongest in the world, and mm. obviously nutrition is a big part of mm. it. And maybe starting with pre workout, like what are you eating? So um, the the thing, but my biggest struggles with nutrition is compliance. Sure. Um, you know, and, and it's the same with everything. You, you'll whatever you like doing, you'll do better uh, more frequently. So if ever I've tried to take complete charge of someone's nutrition, it very very rarely succeeds because there's a lot of things in there. It's like they'll say to me, "Just write out whatever you want me to eat, and I'll eat it." The first thing they do when they get that piece of paper is, "Do I have to eat this?" Exactly. I don't like this. And it's like. Yeah. Just, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. So I'll, a lot of the times work very closely with nutritionists uh, where there's someone that's taking charge of their nutrition. Sure. But failing that, it's kind of like the one step at a time. So I'll get someone's diet. I'll use um, you know, one of my strongest guys, yet worst eaters. He'd come in. His name's Vassa. For those that are listening, this guy, you know, he's got over a thousand kilogram total in, in powerlifting. He squatted 420 kilograms. He bench pressed um, 600 pounds. Wow. Uh, deadlift, uh, I forget what it was, it was about 340. It was That was his weakest lift of the three. Really strong guy. He'd come into my gym at 6 p.m. And I'd say, first thing, you know, what did, what did you eat today? Oh, I haven't eaten yet. It's like, what, 6 p.m., what do you mean you haven't eaten yet? No, I'll eat tonight when I get home. What do you mean by that? Well, it's just what I do. What are you going to eat? I'll get a barbecue chicken and some rice and I'll eat that and, you know, a, a two-liter bottle of Coca-Cola. And I look at these guys and it's like, how the hell, like what you could be mm-hmm. if you took a little bit of, you know, care in what you're putting in your mouth. Uh, you know, so someone like that, I can't change him completely to, you know, five meals a day or, or whatever it is. I can't uh, give him a complete overhaul because it's too different to what he's doing currently. So it's step by step with these guys. Right. One meal. Right. You right. know, get one thing right. Let's let's ditch the Coca-Cola and let's change that to sure. something a little bit different. I know you like sugar. Let's change that to juice at least, yeah. you know. Um, so it's a little bit healthier. I, I care a lot about health when I when it comes to nutrition. Um, what I mean by that is the discussion that we had before when it comes to greens, uh, you know, versus uh, just the whole macronutrient approach. I've spoken to a lot of people who do not give a shit where those macros come from. As long as they're hitting those numbers, right. they will reach their body composition goals they need and uh, does that work maybe i don't know what are the long-term effects of that exactly i don't know that either but i can't imagine performance is not the same i agree so so the guys that i see that perform the best they don't just eat for the calories they eat for the health so um you know pre-workout what do we eat you know a lot of the times i used to think about you know not having food in the in the stomach not having you know being bloated for the session mm-hmm. because you've got a lot of your blood in the digestive system and and you need the the blood in the muscular system and it's not going to work 
But these days our sessions are quite long. With the strength session, you know, my sessions go over two hours most of the times. And that's because probably the first hour of that is warming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of my warm-up drills is about, you know, getting my head in the right state of mind, um, you know, and just really slowly walking around the gym. So I need to actually have a meal. Uh, what does my meals consist of? It's just, you know, pr- protein, carbohydrates. You know, a lot of the times it's beef, rice, uh, spinach. Um, I'm doing, uh, I'm following loosely the the recommendations given by Stan Efforting to, to Half Thor. You mm-hmm. know, that's something that's been working very, very successfully. Sure. Uh, Less foods. Yeah. So it's, it's foods that's so easily digestible. Yeah. You know, when these guys, it's something that you spoke about with, you know, it was to do with the bloating of the midsection. Mm-hmm. They're like these guys, their guts are huge because they're just, they're, they're feeding themselves with up to 10,000 calories per day. 400 pounds. Like people don't get that. It's like, oh, your stomach's big. Yeah, because I'm, you know, like I'm 400 pounds. I have to eat a lot. Yeah. So, you know, when you're working with these guys, these guys have the experience. Like he'd, he'd look at, at guys that talk about, you know, I eat 10,000 pounds and I'd uh, 10,000 calories per day. And, and, and he'd say, there's no way his waist size is too small. He's bullshitting. Mm-hmm. He's not eating. If you eat that much food, your stomach is out here. Yeah, I was eating six thousand calories a day on clean food. Clean food, and it was like there's there's no time when you're not like I don't want to eat anymore. And people are like, yeah. oh, your stomach's big. I'm like, yeah, I don't fucking want it to yeah. be. You're like, yeah. if I don't eat these calories, I, I get smaller. Yeah. And, and you know, their obsession with getting bigger, strength training makes a lot of sense, but. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. It's constantly full of food. So so the whole thing with myself as well is is easily digestible foods as mm-hmm. well, which is what made sense when I was you know following a lot of Stan Efferding's protocols. I was working with a, a dietitian as well who put me on a FODMAP diet. I'm sure you're, you're familiar mm-hmm. with that. You know, I used to eat a lot of things that were meant to be healthier. You know, I got into things like sauerkraut um, because it was meant to be good for my gut health. And and one day, uh, you know, I had a you know good fresh bottle of sauerkraut and I was eating it with just straight from the, the jar and my guts, you know, were bloated instantly and I thought, what the hell? I ran to the toilet uh, thinking I was sick and I just let out a massive fart and I thought, what the hell is this? And I came back out again thinking that was really strange and my guts filled back up again. Anyway, it was just full of gas and, you know, the dietitian said, this is what were you just eating and it was the sauerkraut. Right. And so she said, you should try this FODMAP diet so I tried it and I got rid of whatever it was, you know. I'm not so so. This was the fermented foods, sure, yeah. Uh, you know, di- whatever yeah, the, the acronym, right? Yeah. Low fat FODMAP yeah, diet. It's a long acronym that I don't remember. Either. Uh, right. Fruit so there's fermented oligo, foods, oligosaccharides, yeah. dairies, all all of these things, <laughs> yeah. and so I eliminated those things. And for the first thing, time in my life, I was, you know, training without a. a a belly full of gas, you know, like when you eat the wrong foods and you come under a, a heavy weight, you're about to load your spine and you want to be using your core optimally okay. and you're having to hold a fart in. Right. It doesn't work right. I've injured right. my it's back. Like coming up into your throat. It's, it's not good. So, yeah. so it's a fine line with having the right amount of food in your system to have the right amount of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, feeling like you're going to vomit or, or you're going to shit your pants. Sure. So with with the nutrition, like pre workout, I'm I'm not huge on supplementation. Uh, I'm huge on food. So like I said, nothing for your brain, nothing for energy. Doing caffeine like ca- that. Caffeine. I'm huge on caffeine. Yeah. I don't really. I don't know if this is um, you know science or or not, but I my cognitive function is not good without caffeine. Mm-hmm. And I've done seminars before where I haven't had caffeine, and I've found myself where I can't really speak properly until I had my coffee. So I don't know if that's um, a thing. 
Could be if it is for you, it is, right? It, it, for me, it was. So from from that day on, I just don't do anything without coffee. Uh, but I also have caffeine pre-workout. That's mm-hmm. the only pre-workout that I do have. It's not just from the coffee. It's from actual tablets as well. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually a, a Charles Poliquin supplement. That's yep. my favorite one, Javastim. Yep. Javastim. It's got um, a little phenyl- phenylalanine in there and I think a little tyrosine, which that's makes it. Exactly. There's also dopamine. Mood, mood enhancers. Yeah. yeah, right. So for, for brain function, I'd like by accident, that's right. Those Those two things increase it, but. Yeah. For me, it was about the caffeine. And how about post-workout? Post-workout, straight to a meal. So you just saw now I had my... Um, this is this is the luxury of, of my life at the moment. Uh, everything revolves around my training. My training is my business. So, uh, you know, my social media, everything that I post, all the great people that come to my gym, is it revolves around this. So as soon as I finish my training, uh, you know, my beautiful wife, she bought me a bowl of rice and meat and uh, spinach and, and Cranberry juice. juice. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's my post-workout nutrition. Yeah. I didn't have a protein shake, which I, you know, a lot of people are used to doing. And a lot of people ask me, what's your, you know, do you have protein? No, I don't do any of the supplements. I just have food. And in a couple of hours, I'll, I'll eat something very similar to that again. Yeah, I, I agree with that, man. And I think a lot of people are so fixated on like, hey, what supplements do I need to take? And, and until you have your food straight, what the hell is the benefit? Like, exactly. So I always talk about this proverbial pyramid, right? Most people live at the bottom of the pyramid. They're, they're below baseline, right? So we, we have to like, how do we bring your body up to baseline first? And that may mean, you know, greens. That may mean magnesium. Yeah. That may mean sleep. That mean like any of these basic things that allows you to come up to this baseline status. And then from there, we can start looking at, okay, how's your nutrition? Is your nutrition optimized? And if your yeah. nutrition, you're eating all your meals, okay, then we can look at, then and only then does a supplement make sense, right? Yeah. You filled all the holes, the, all the gaps. Yeah. And then how do we like push performance with some supplements? You know, maybe it's cognitive performance, maybe it's recovery, maybe it's sleep, any of those things. Um, that's where supplements maybe start to play a, a small role. Yeah. But people are just like, hey, I need, I need a pre-workout. I need something to go to sleep. I need something. Like it's ridiculous. That, Get I mean, everything I, right first. Get all the small sure, stuff right first. Sure, yeah. And, you know, people are trying to uh, do the things that are easy rather than mm. do the things that are right. And that's Exactly, the magic yeah. pill. Mm-hmm. Very interesting framing. Um, so what's next for you, man? You've you got a show. You got a show coming up you're preparing for a lift right it's crazy what's next for me um this whole the first half of the year i haven't really even been able to think beyond that uh it's just a crazy next six months i've just got seminars uh, actually this weekend i have one mm-hmm. that i'm host- hosting here uh, in sydney here in sydney um you know and then every weekend Is that after your that, gym here that's that base gym that's base here yep. that's that's um that's going to be a really big one we've got about 60 people that are going to be attending and it's not a big space one so day it's going to be two days uh so that's uh, yeah, I'm not sure how I'm going to be able to handle that. That's that's the most amount of people that I've had in this gym that I've right. presented in front of before, and and I've got to get them all moving around and and all that. So it's going to be a little bit of a high stress because that's a new topic that I'm going to be teaching as well, which, which is, is pro- what? Program, program design. Yeah. Um, and uh, so the next uh, three weeks is going to be seminars. After that, I've got Pro Raw, which is at the Arnold's in Sydney. That's um, that's the biggest powerlifting competition of the year for me. Uh, that's going to be March 16. Straight after that, we have um, I've got more seminars after that um, that I'm going various other states. I'm going to go to Europe in April. Straight after Europe, I come back here and um, before that, I go to World Strongest Man in May. That's going to be in America. Where is that? That's for half the. I don't know exactly where, uh, but it's we like I said, they don't tell us all the information, oh, whether really? it's the events or the exact dates. You think they would sell tickets? Like they don't sell tickets because it's a TV show. 
So it's not like a lot of the other events where they are trying to sell it out. They don't want people knowing because they don't want a huge amount of people attending. Ah, okay. Because then people know the result. Well, not, they can't, that's, that's changing. They, they realized that due to social media, they're not going to change a lot of that. So they had, you know, a lot of the, the strongman signing waivers saying you're not allowed to release, uh, you know, the results. But mm. but nowadays they let them because it gets out anyway. Um, but it's, it's not a show like that. They don't sell tickets to that show. It's just a TV show and that's how they make their money. Mm. But we don't know much about that event up until about six to eight weeks before that. So that's going to be, so far, you know, the tentative dates is mid-May. After that, we move gyms. So Yeah, your wife was telling me. Yeah, so this building's getting knocked down. Oh, really? Yeah, and that's the end of our lease and uh, we've got another space that we own and that's going to be a different different side of the Harbour Bridge. Uh, if you know Sydney, mm-hmm. uh, in, in the city is one side of the Harbour Bridge and, and a lot of people that, that – live around there, think that everywhere else is way too far. So we're on the other side of the Harbour Bridge, which is literally a two-minute drive. Right. <laughs> so that's uh, we're, we're in North Sydney at the moment. So we're going to go to the right part of the city, um, and that's going to be in June. So that's going to be a huge step for us um, for many reasons. We're completely going to be restructuring our business. Mm-hmm. A lot of our business used to be based on when we opened up this gym, we thought about you know creating a huge membership gym and having, a, you know, I don't know how many members we planned on having here, but uh, we've culled that right back. The members that we have here, we don't we don't really want to sell membership or personal training. That's not where we're making most of our money from. Right. Most of our money comes from, you know, online education, uh, creating content. So that's what our whole gym is going to be based around. It's going to be based around the way I train, my athletes. The new gym. The new gym. Yeah. So very. we've already got a lot of the equipment, we're going to be building a, a few more bits and pieces, but it's going to be based around, it's more of an education center, which is going to be our next step for Great. for 2019. So that's that's going to take up the first half of this year. Um, and I'm really, really excited about that. Uh, you know, it's a lot of the things, It's I've never really planned for anything. Uh, in, in the last probably five years of my life, everything has just kind of come. I won't say by accident, you know, I've been as active as you could be sure. in the industry and, and things just happened. And, uh, you know, the amount of travel, of, you know, last year we went to, to Europe four times. Um, you know, that's the other side of the world for us. So it's a big thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the first six months of the year, I don't even have time to think. So it's, it's very exciting. Very it's cool, it's a good thing to have. Very, very cool. Dude, so much, thank you so much for your time. It's man, thank great. you so much. I've been, uh, you know, wanting to speak to you for so many different reasons besides you picking my brain. I'd love to, you know, get the opportunity to, oh. to you know, spend time with you and ask you more about bodybuilding and how it relates to what I'm doing because there's so there's many different so many crossovers that yeah. I had no idea uh, that it was that similar. But success is success, right? Mm-hmm. So, like I said, well, we can talk about that later, but I'll be back here, man. I'll definitely be back in Sydney and I'll definitely come and hang out with you, man. Awesome. I'd really love that, man. Sebastian Orb, thank you so much for your time, brother. I appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. Yeah, Loved man. it. Thank you so much for tuning in to Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.